good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you are in the world. This is Augie of the Blago Blabber podcast. I would like to welcome everyone to yet another episode of the show. I have a little bit of a mixed bag today for you guys. Uh, so I wanted to do I wanted to do this podcast about maybe like three, four days ago, but I just didn't really have the time to do it. So uh, some of the things I'm going to cover today is Caleb Love transferring to Michigan, Arsenal and Liverpool draw last week, and Odell Beckham Jr. signing with the Baltimore Ravens. And I'll see if I could get into some other stuff later on. But those are kind of the three things that I had outlined. And then if there's anything else that I can kind of get my hands on during this podcast, I will. Uh, but if not, those are the three things I wanted to talk about. So, so when Caleb Love came to North Carolina, he was one of three five-star recruits that season. So Walker Kessler, who is probably going to be the runner-up for Rookie of the Year in the NBA, uh, and Daron Sharp was the other uh, five-star recruit. So Caleb Love obviously was a five-star recruit as well. So those are three guys. So in his overall rankings, recruiting rankings, rivals had him ranked 17th, 24-7 sports had him ranked 7th, and ESPN had him ranked 18th. So pretty much everyone had him in the top 20. So he's a big-time prospect, big-time get for North Carolina. They had, I believe, one of the better recruiting classes that year. Uh, Walker Kessler ended up going to Auburn, if I'm not mistaken, where he ended up getting drafted into the NBA in the first round. Daron Sharp, the same thing. Uh, he plays for the Brooklyn Nets. If you follow the NBA, you would know who Daron Sharp is. Hasn't played much this season, but he was he had some really good games last season uh, for the Brooklyn Nets. So 15-3-3 were Caleb loves averages during his time at North Carolina. So for his career, 15-3-3, only 36% field goal percentage and 32 from the three-point line. Should be noted that this season, his three-point percentage dropped by 6%. Compared to last season, and his free throw percentage has been, went down by ten percent. So, his first season, I think we kind of got a glimpse into what he was about. I think we just thought that he was going to be a lot more uh, consistent as he started getting more playing time as he went on in his North Carolina career. But that just wasn't really the case. A lot of terrible shooting performances more so than he had good ones. Uh, we remember the big shot that he made against Duke that pretty much sealed uh, the victory for North Carolina last year in March Madness. And I think just his time in North Carolina, just there was a lot to be desired in my opinion. I think he left a lot of stuff not unsaid, but just I think we had higher hopes for him at North Carolina. And like I said, after the first season, I think a lot of Fans thought that he would take a huge step in his second season where he was, you know, preseason nominee for like the Naismith Award or whatever it was, and he just never really lived up to that. The only one of the questions that I have is how much of this is due to coaching change? So he was Caleb Love was a part of the North Carolina team that was uh, Roy Williams's last season with the team. And then Hubert Davis came along and maybe his role had changed from his first year at North Carolina when when Roy Williams was there. I, I really don't know. I, it wouldn't be fair for me to comment, but I wonder how much a coaching change, uh, you know, had an influence on on his playing style and, and you know, kind of what he did and, and do's and don'ts and things like that. Because we know sometimes when a player is recruited by a certain coach and then that coach either gets fired or leaves for a different program, when a new coach comes in, 
he has a completely different role for that same player. And that's why players decide to transfer. That's why players, you know, decide to maybe go pro if they're if they're projected to be a lottery pick. That's why a lot of this stuff does happen. So I wonder how much of that, you know, kind of influenced him to transfer this season to uh, Michigan, who's, you know, always a perennial powerhouse in, in college hoops. And yeah, that, that just kind of the question that I have. But then again, you know, you look at it from the other side and you could say that, well, he was at North Carolina for whatever it was, three, four years. And, you know, he had Hubert Davis there for, for two or three of them, right? So, you know, if he felt that he was being slighted in any way or that his role changed, he could have he could have transferred out two seasons ago. Instead, he stayed. And, you know, now he's going um, going elsewhere. And when I first wrote up these notes, Michigan... Uh, currently ranked second in the transfer portal and this from 24 7 sports that's where i got the info from so very good transfer class from for them we'll see what happens with dickinson uh he's on the in the transfer portal as well i think he could still kind of pull out so he can stay there if you know you know caleb love and, and him could build a good partnership and and get the michigan state program back to where it belongs which is at the top but it's going to be an interesting for him. So, so we'll see how much his game changes from these two, three or four years at North Carolina, and then now that he's at uh, Michigan. So we'll see if this was. I mean, if his shooting percentages are much better than what he was at North Carolina, and if he's averaging six, seven, eight, nine points more than what he did at North Carolina, then it's maybe the North Carolina system. And also, there were some off the court things that kind of came up, which I'm not going to get into. I don't get into players' personal lives, especially, you know, 20, 21-year-olds. I'm not going to get into that stuff. There's, you know, stuff that could have played a part, which, again, I'm not going to get into. I don't know if we're ever going to find out the answer to that. But there was something, there were some things said. So I'm, I'm curious. I'm really curious to see how he does at Michigan. Because, again, it, it's, it, this, isn't, this isn't a step down in any way for, for Caleb Love. He's still going to a very good program. So it's like he's just kind of stayed at the, at the same level pretty much, right? So really curious to see how he does at, at Michigan uh, next season. I'm going to be following some other games because, again, I, I'm, I'm really curious to see if this is maybe something that's on North Carolina or is it on the player or kind of like what's going on here, right? Um, also, quick note on North Carolina. A lot of things have kind of changed in the last two or three seasons. Obviously, with where Roy Williams going, the, the team's kind of headed into a, an interesting uh, direction. I, I really don't know kind of where this team is going now. Uh, guys are leaving the school. The, the, the record hasn't been that great. They missed the March Madness tournament for the first time in a long time. I think they were saved by COVID, the COVID year when there was no March Madness tournament. I don't think they would have made that one either, so... The next two seasons, I think, for North Carolina are crucial. We'll see if Hubert Davis stays on with the team. Because if the results don't improve, I think he could be on his way out. We'll, obviously, we'll see that down the road. But I think as early as next season, if the team stumbles early, uh, he, could be, he could be gone by the, end of, uh, by the end of next season. So I think that's just another thing to kind of focus on. I think Kentucky had a poor start to the season. They got their act together as the, as the season went on. But they were also very poor. Duke had its moments as well. Some of the blue bloods, blue bloods really are struggling lately to kind of, uh, to kind of keep afloat, so to say, with with some of the other teams, and I think that's thanks to the transfer portal, where, where 
you know, some teams that we maybe don't see as powerhouses are able to get transfers from smaller programs to improve their program. And then they give these so-called blue bloods uh, fits during the regular season. And they're able to steal games off them and, and, and win in convincing fashion. So yeah, it's, it's something to kind of keep an eye on this uh, North Carolina program. Uh, Arsenal Liverpool draw 2-2. So this was a crazy game. I was actually fortunate enough to watch this one. I haven't been this stressed over an Arsenal match in a very long time. I would say maybe even upwards of uh, I can't remember the last actually game that I was this stressed for. Probably a year and a half to two. Like this was extremely stressful and I've watched the last few North London derbies and it wasn't this stressful. Um Arsenal really looked like they were going to pull this off early. So excellent 40 minutes of football where they scored twice. Liverpool get the goal late in the first half, which kind of rallied them. And it seemed at the time, they always say, you know, the team that kind of scores to cut the lead or, or to to tie the match doesn't want to see halftime. And the team that, you know, gave up the lead really wants to see halftime. And that's exactly what this was like. Liverpool wanted to keep playing. And Arsenal couldn't wait to get into the into the locker rooms at halftime and to kind of rethink their plan. Um, the, the thing that changed the most in the second half was Arsenal was forced to defend for almost all of the second half. But they still had very dangerous spells on the counterattack where they were still able to generate chances to score goals, which is defending has been Liverpool's Achilles heel this season. They've been very poor. And even the two goals that Arsenal scored... Just a lot of ball watching. Uh, Virgil van Dijk on the first goal, I think, just kind of stood there and watched as Martinelli kind of squeaked by him. And uh, Andy Robertson on the, on the second goal by Gabriel Jesus. Like, you can't let Gabriel Jesus get a get an open header. He's not known as a guy who's going to score many headed goals, but professional footballers, you can't give him wide open header. You have to get in their way. You have to be able to kind of box them out a little bit so they don't get those chances. And Robertson did a very poor job of... of you know, kind of protecting goal from from Gabriel Jesus. Saka's Saka's long long pass in the second half, where he looked like he was completely dead tired, and he was able to kind of again to get away from the defenders, kind of spin off of them, and to cross the ball to Trossard, which was just a touch long. Trossard couldn't get on top of it, and then the pass from Martinelli to Saka, which was which would have been the last kick of the match, I would think where he just sent a long ball to Saka on, on the right side, and, and Allison, to his credit, tracked it down very well and was able to get it out. And, I mean, if Arsenal were able to pull that off at, at uh, you know, away, uh, that would have been that would have been a crazy result. 3-2 win in a, in a game that was very good. Um, and the one thing that you can say about this match, the usual suspects kill, killed Arsenal, right? I mean, Salah in 15 matches has 9 goals and 4 assists against Arsenal. Firmino in 18 matches has 11 goals and 3 assists. So you would think that we would pay a little bit more attention to those two guys who have absolutely killed us in the past. But I mean, that's why they are, that's why Salah is one of the best players in the world. And that's why Firmino is very dangerous when he came off the bench um, and was able to, to, to score that goal to, to tie the match. And he kind of flipped the match as soon as he came on. And I said that Liverpool pretty much were attacking the entire second half, but I think that he, him entering the fold for them kind of gave him a, a new life, a new energy to go forward and score even more. Uh, so that was very important for Liverpool going forward. 
Uh, Martinelli's really making a name for himself this season. Uh, it must be said, 30 matches, 14 goals and four assists in all competition. When you have guys like Saka and Gabriel Jesus and Thomas Partey and the defensive pairing of, of Gabriel and Saliba, who hopefully comes back soon, I think he's still a few weeks out. I think when you have all those players, we kind of overlook Martinelli a little bit. I've loved him since the first match that he's played at the club. I think his energy... And I think I've said this on past podcasts, his energy reminds me of what Alexis Sanchez used to bring to this club, where he's where he's running the entire 90 minutes. If he's on there for if he's on the pitch for 90 minutes, he's running the entire 90 minutes. He doesn't cheat you in terms of in terms of effort, which is very important. It's easy to say professional footballers should give us at least effort effort in every match. It just simply doesn't happen. And he won't cheat you with that stuff. It's it's exactly like the Alex, Alexis uh, Sanchez cut from the same cloth type of thing and there's a little bit of a height difference between the two but I see a lot of Alexis in in Gabriel Martinelli he's very fast he's he's so quick to get by defenders he can make defenders look foolish which he did a lot in the first half he scored some very big goals for Arsenal this season we definitely wouldn't, wouldn't be where we are without him and like I said when we look at players like Saka and Gabriel Jesus and and Odegaard who's been excellent this season and Saliba and all these guys, Ramsdale, we kind of forget about Martinelli a little bit. And I don't think that we should because he's one of the most underrated players in the world, um, 100%. He could very well be the most underrated player in, in the world. And Aaron Ramsdale, Aaron Ramsdale saved the day for Arsenal, literally. No pun intended. Some of the saves that he pulled off in the second half on 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 Kanate and where he was able to get that ball just before it crossed the line, I already saw it over the line. It was, it was just crazy. And he made another two or three stops at the, on Salah. There was one on Salah that was... I don't even know how he got to, to, to some of these balls. It's just an exceptional goalkeeper. Which, again, begs the question, who should be the number one goalkeeper for, for England? And I've said for about a year and a half now that it should be Ramsdale. But Pickford is going to have to do something, whether it's an error, to get replaced as the number one keeper. I, I really don't see Southgate pulling him as a number one keeper in, in favor of Aaron Ramsdale, even though I think Ramsdale is better. I just don't see it happening. I think when 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 coaches have that number one keeper for the national team, it really, and not just Southgate, everyone, is going to take really something special to get him out of there. And I don't, I don't think Pickford has really done anything, made any huge blunders in the last two seasons or last two years to kind of being replaced as a number one keeper so I don't I really don't see Ramsdale being the number one unless God forbid Pickford picks up an injury or something like that then obviously you have to go with an, with another keeper but I don't I don't see him um, being replaced so the fight for the title between Arsenal and Manchester City is in full gear um, it's getting more and more interesting by every passing week uh, so to say, and the two teams still play each other, which is going to be a crazy match at the Etihad. Um, that's that could that could very well be the decider on who um, who wins the title. I, I think that it doesn't have to be, but there's a good chance that because if because if Manchester City wins, all the pressure is on Arsenal now. And if Arsenal wins, then, you know, they're however many points at that point, they'll be clear of, of City if they still are. So there's still a lot of 
a lot of football left. Arsenal still has Chelsea at home, Newcastle away, Manchester City away, and I'm trying to think of some of the matches that they have that are very important. I think that's about it from from the tough matchups. And I don't think I can't remember City's um City's schedule right now, but I think they also have Chelsea at home and then they have a tricky Brentford side and I think they might have Brighton as well. Two very good teams. Very hard teams to beat. So it's going to be and and that's why I say it match this match between Arsenal and Manchester City might not, you know, be the be the decider of of the title because there still is a chance that either of these teams can fumble some points uh headed down headed down the uh, wire here uh odell beckham jr signs with the baltimore ravens so this surely means that lamar jackson is back next season right like where you assume that he's going to be back with the uh ravens 50 million guaranteed is I think a lot of money to give to a receiver who is coming off an injury, off surgery. He's pretty much paid like a number one receiver, but he could be either a second or a third option. That just depends on where you have Mark Andrews, who has been excellent for the Ravens, and and Rashad Bateman. So, and I think so. It's fifty million guaranteed, and I think it get go up to eighteen if he has a certain amount of catches and touchdowns and all that stuff. I think games played as well, games played as well. I think the only scary part for the Ravens would be the previous injury history kind of for both players. We've seen Lamar suffer some injuries or some ailments in playoff games. We've seen him suffer some injuries during the season. We've obviously, I just mentioned with, with Odell Beckham Jr., he had surgery and you know now he's he's fully fit, but you know it's always in the back of your mind that he's not this young guy who can you know he's he's getting up there in age, so and in, injuries are going to become a, a more prominent thing in his in his uh, NFL career. So, I think that's the only thing here that you kind of look at, and you say, "Are we are Ravens sure they're making the right decision here?" But what if Lamar does leave? What if Lamar doesn't come back? And Odell has kind of said all this stuff where, you know, he's excited to play with Lamar, and he's it's almost basically like he's saying Lamar is coming back without. Lamar really saying he's coming back. So I think this entire thing is very interesting right now. And there's a lot going on. And it's it, it's, it really is fascinating because Lamar hasn't said too much lately. And, and you know, then you have Odell signing a, a contract with, with the Ravens. I think one year, listen, you're going to kind of get to see what you're going to get from, from Odell coming off an injury. But it's still a lot of money to, to, to throw at him. And like many people have said, why would Odell come here if if he's not going to have a number one quarterback, if he's not going to have Lamar or someone else? I don't know. Like, what's the point of him coming here? Would he come here if, if Huntley's the number one? I highly doubt it. No disrespect to him. But I think it's just an interesting signing. It really raised some eyebrows, I think, for a lot of people. But... I think the connection that everyone kind of made was when Odell signed is that Lamar is back because why else would he sign here? I think that's where everyone's kind of kind of mind went to right away. Why would he come here if 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 he knows that Lamar wouldn't be back? So that's interesting. Uh, Oli Watkins, I just wanted to quickly touch on him. Scored, and I think another two goals today and had an assist. So that's eleven goals and two assists in his last twelve matches. Fully deserves a call up to the England squad. 
I think he's proven since, especially since Unai Emery's taken over, that he, man, he scored a ton of goals. And it's key goals. And, and Aston Villa, all of a sudden, from being 14th, 13th, 14th, is fighting for a European spot. And that tells you how crazy the Premier League has been this season. Chelsea's struggling pretty much the bottom half of the table um, right now. So it's been a crazy, crazy season in, in the Premier League. I can't remember a, a season this crazy where with so many, and the relegation fight is is nuts. There's six or seven teams within four or five points of each other. The, these last eight or nine matches are going to be nuts. It's actually going to be crazy. And, and I think the top of the table is like that as well with Manchester City and Arsenal. It's just two teams, but the bottom half with seven or eight teams within five, six points of each other, it, I mean, a lot of managers are going to have their word cut out for them in, in the last seven, eight matches, however many are left. But yeah, he's been scoring at a rapid pace. And I think I think with, with Tammy Abraham not really being called up to, to England and not having a mark there, I think that Ole Watkins deserves a call up. There are some rumors that Arsenal would be looking at him this summer and I think his his price just keeps going up and up with with every passing week because he just keeps on scoring he, he literally can't stop right now and Unamri's done wonderful things for that club like I said they're they're literally fighting for a Europa League spot or, or Conference League or whatever it is at, at you know at the point where they are in the table so uh, good for them so that's it for this podcast guys uh, thank you for listening as always I appreciate it uh, remember that you can listen to this podcast on Anchor FM, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or iHeartRadio, or wherever else you guys listen to your podcasts. So again, thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch up again uh, down the road sometime.